Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by HotMovies.com. HotMovies.com is a video-on-demand website that offers all of the latest and the greatest adult movies from more than 50 years of adult movie making, including films by yours truly. Go to HotMovies.com slash bonus and enter the promo code HOLLY to get 20 free minutes on HotMovies.com. No purchases necessary. This week, you can see the legendary Shawn Michaels in his first ever scene with a transgender performer. Plus, read our exclusive interview about his experience. There's always something to see or do or learn at HotMovies.com. Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by Woo for Play Lube. Have you heard of Woo? Woo is the best organic, all-natural, and antibacterial lube I have ever used. It's made of virgin coconut oil, vanilla essence, natural stevia and beeswax, and is totally free of chemicals and preservatives. And unlike most lubes, Woo also smells and tastes great, just like cupcake frosting. I am not kidding you. Seriously, I offer it to the actors on my sets, and we all love it. Woo is simply the best. Silky smooth, all natural, and tastes like dessert. What more could you want? If you want to enhance your love life or just want a better lube, buy it for yourself or treat that special someone, go to Woo4Play and enter discount code HOLLY and you'll get 10% off your entire order. That's Woo4Play, W-O-O-F-O-R-P-L-A-Y.com with the code HOLLY for 10% off. Get more play with Woo. Are you stuck in a sex rut? Do you need to introduce some outside elements into your sex life? No, I'm not talking threesomes, though I'm not advising against them, of course. I'm talking about hitting up adamandeve.com to find something to spice things up. This website is massive. They carry everything from vibrators to bondage gear, lingerie, and countless adult movies. And the best part is, is that Adam and Eve has created a special code for my listeners to get you 10 free gifts and free shipping on whatever you order. So go to adamandeve.com and type in the code HOLLY at checkout. That's H-O-L-L-Y at adamandeve.com. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I have just a couple of things I want to bring up before we get started. First of all, I am conducting a survey to help me get a better idea of my demographics. So if you would please go to hollyrandallunfiltered.com and fill out that survey there, that would be so incredibly helpful. We are actually giving away $300 worth of prizes from Babeland. So you have nothing to lose and only so much to gain by going out and filling out my survey. hollyrandallunfiltered.com Easy enough, right? The other thing I wanted to mention is I have a Facebook group and I would love it if you would come and join me there. So go to facebook.com slash groups slash Holly Randall Unfiltered. Send your join request and I will preview immediately. We have all kinds of fun discussions there. We even talk about other things besides the podcasts. I get ideas from people about writing scripts for some of my porn scenes. So it's a really fun little community and I would love to have you there. So please come join us. And now on to the show. Today on the podcast, I have a porn performer and advocate, Susie Q. She is a secretary at APAC, the Adult Performers Advocacy Committee, and she is passionate about politics and porn, something that probably a lot of you guys don't know much about. So she is here to educate both myself and the rest of you. So let's welcome Susie Q to the show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Today, I have Susie Q in the studio. Hi. Hi. I'm so honored to be here. It's so lovely to have you. You know, I've had quite a few people tell me that um, whenever we ended up, started getting into like politics or anything um, behind the... 
uh, scenes with porn, people were always saying, you got to have Susie on. She Aww. knows a lot more than like I do. I can't remember who I had on last, but we kind of started it's going into Prop 60 and mm-hmm. the condom law and they were like, I don't know. It was Sesta Fosta. That's what oh, it was. Yeah. And they were like, you should have Susie Q on. She'll be much better explaining all of this than I am. And um, I think that a lot of people don't realize that there is um, a political force behind the porn industry. We're not just a bunch of random people filming each other fucking. There are actually people like you out there fighting for sex worker rights, fighting to keep the porn industry legal, basically, because there's a lot of people that want to shut us down. And I think people don't realize how newly legal the porn industry is. And that if you like your First Amendment rights, you need to be thanking porn every night before you go to sleep and because uh, you know we're free speech warriors Mm -hmm. at the end of the day uh, you know and people who are still alive and well and producing and making money in this industry like went to jail for making porn Mm -hmm. you know like Annie Sprinkle Nina Hartley like these we stand on the shoulders of people who serve time to fuck on camera I don't know if I can say it I'm sure you totally can I bet I can you can absolutely (laughs) swear all you want no problem I do a lot of mainstream media um I, so I I forget sometimes when I've got a microphone and you know oh no I get it I actually went on to. I went on one mainstream like radio show and they I was told before not to swear I got seventy five percent through the podcast oh, and that I said something like fuck or shit uh-huh. and the guy was horrified he was like you can't say that and I was like. I should be rewarded for making it this long without swearing, dude. Like, I want a cookie. I mean, come on. You probably weren't even, like, swearing in the traditional sense. You were just using a noun. That's how I feel. I'm like, it's not like I'm like, fucking shit, goddamn I'm just like, yeah. so we were fucking. And then she yeah. was like, oh, shit, my, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard. It's become such a part of, like, the, you know, everyday vernacular. It's just, uh, and the thing is, is, like, my parents swear a lot. Yeah, they kind of same. always did. Totally. Even when I was growing up as a kid, my parents swore in front of me. So it was never... Never like a, you know, it was funny. My parents, my parents have very strange ideas about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And one of the things was like they didn't really care if we said fucker shit, but man, if we said shut up, mm. that was not okay. That's super weird. There was though. something very and to Free this speech warriors, yeah. And to this day, like I, I don't know that word is like like we could never say that. We could never say shut up or oh, I love because I think that was too like aggressive or something like that. Well, it's putting someone's rights down, you know. And I, I would I, imagine maybe. your mom, one of those people, C. Yeah. Randall, who was on the cutting edge of yeah. legality yeah. in this in this industry, like was not trying to let her kids like uh, impede each other's First Amendment rights, right? I don't know. That's what I see. Yeah, I don't know. I think my mom just didn't want us to talk back to her. Also, <laughs> and she felt like it was a very it's a very like American <sighs> thing to say because you know my mom's English totally, and uh, so she just didn't like that word. It's it's crass, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, but like fucking. <laughs> Especially, the thing is, my mom has a British accent. She gets away with saying whatever she wants. It always sounds charming. She's like, oh, fuck, darling. Like, it sounds so cute. She's like, oh, she's like, oh you little cocksucker. <laughs> and then you're just like, oh, that's, people are like, that's so adorable. Your mom called me a cocksucker. I'm like, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Man, we were, at my, so my sister got married this weekend. Not to like completely derail no, the I topic. Hear about of, it. We, and we will go get there, I promise. I was supposed to go to a wedding this weekend and I like didn't because I, I was a dab princess at fucking Comic-Con or whatever. I feel like an asshole. You did the right thing and went to the family Well, I was a bridesmaid and you it was my to. sister, so like I no could choice. not go. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a big deal. It's not so. a lot of consent in being a bridesmaid. No. no. I'm just that. so glad she didn't make me the maid of honor. But anyways, Ooh. speaking of the maid of honor, so my mom, um, now my mom honestly doesn't drink that much anymore. Um, but you know, this was my sister's wedding and she had a few, a lot of people had a few. My boyfriend got so hammered. Oh my God. He was dying yesterday. That's what weddings are for, man. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And, um, so my mom, okay. So the bridesmaid, my sister's best friend is also a very strong, dominant woman. My mom's a very strong, dominant Mm -hmm. woman. And they've been best friends since like the sixth grade. So we've known this girl for like 23 years. We were like friends with her family, blah, blah, blah. So, but there was just this dominance battle between the two of them throughout the entire wedding. And then finally, so we set up this little photo booth. It was a Twin Peaks themed wedding. Oh, my sister's like super into that. I love that. Yeah. Um, So we set up this Twin Peaks uh, photo booth and my mom was taking photos with the maid of honor, but they were like kind of play fighting, like do it. My mom cannot pose for a normal photo. She's always got to be like pretending to strangle someone or grab some guy's balls. Like it's just... 
yeah. so fucking and as she gets older it gets worse <laughs> so anyways so she basically like took this girl's dress and fucking pulled it down and her tits just came out no. and my friend was shooting photos and she had like live views so we got the whole thing like in light oh my god it was so bad and i was just Thanks, like mom i was like mom you can't pull people's dresses down and like the fact that i have to say this to my mother i be like great. mom you can't pull people's dresses down and you can't grab guys by the balls it's yeah. not okay my mom um so when i started doing like sex work full-time mm-hmm. it was at this point when my mother was uh, very ill and in the hospital for like two months uh, she had a brain aneurysm type of thing and has kind of been in recovery ever since and is kind of disabled now and um you know has trouble walking so she often has a cane or a chair mm-hmm. or whatever and she once she like finally got stabilized and is like living her life as you know a uh-huh. differently abled person she is on a crazy power trip sometimes. Like she, like don't give the woman a stick. Like yeah. she'll use it as a weapon. Oh God, <laughs> I feel like my mom would do the I'm same thing. I'm like, mom, you thing. can't. She's like, well, he was talking during the theater. I'm like, mom, that's not. Was she like poking yeah, people with just, a like, stick? Just like that's assault with a, and like you will go to jail. I mean, yeah. you probably won't, but also she's like, yeah, I probably won't. And I'm like, mom, stop yeah. it. I know. I don't know what it is about these older people. They're just like, we can do whatever we want. My mom's like, I'm 75. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> totally. If I want to grab, she calls it a Trumpy when she grabs a guy by the balls. She calls it a Trumpy because, you know, he yeah. says grab women by the it's pussy. Time. So she, she flips it around. But I'm like, wow. it's still not okay. It's still not okay. You can't do that. <laughs> they, they like, my she mom's like. She the car dealer. <laughs> like she was going to get a better deal on a Subaru. I was like, no. <laughs> my mom also drives a Subaru. <laughs> oh, so does my boyfriend. So does my brother. Subarus are great cars. They are. They really are. We should sponsor this podcast. <laughs> Subaru. Subaru. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, having... Having like really, I mean, accepting is, is probably like not quite the, the word, right. but supportive, supportive yeah. family in this industry is like both a blessing and a curse. Like I yes. feel like they have, especially like living through the sexual revolution mm-hmm. and like that first time around, just like it's kind of a different perspective. We have a lot in common, but there's a lot of also like, hey, 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 actually too much, yeah. too much. Oh, I yeah. feel so much more prudish and conservative than both my parents. Right. And I'm the one in the industry. You know right. what I mean? Like, well, I think, I mean, it's interesting to notice how, like, society has changed and we've, right. become, we've become a lot more aware of prejudice yeah. and um, of all of, you know, the things that seemed acceptable before, you know, these stereotypes and yeah. that kind of stuff. So um, I think it's very positive. Sometimes I feel like it goes a little over the top, but, I mean, the pendulum always swings one way or the other before it yeah. kind of settles in the middle. Totally. So, um, but yeah, I mean, my mom definitely lived through that whole revolution. I mean, my parents were filming porn when it was illegal. Yeah. And when the Vice Squad was going through our trash and when they couldn't give out the location until like they would all meet in the parking lot like the mm-hmm. night before or sorry, the morning of and then like follow each other, Yeah, you know, and it was, it was, uh, my mom, of course, loved it because my mom l- hates authority. Yes. And so she's all about like, you know, like she loves fighting with cops. Like, Bad. It's real I, bad. I feel you, Sue. So yeah. <laughs> so she, um, she, you know, and the Freeman case. They lived through that yeah. whole thing. Um, for those of you who aren't aware of the Freeman case, so uh, basically they uh, tried to say that porn was actually prostitution, pimping and pandering, mm-hmm. and it went all the way to the high courts. And uh, Freeman was the guy who actually fought it. Yep. And um, it was overturned. And so that's why, like, technically, I think. California, I don't know if it's the only state, but it's the one state where porn is technically illegal, sorry, legal to shoot in. I think the other states just haven't really addressed it. Exactly. It's not illegal. It's not legal. It's kind of like, we don't really want to broach the subject kind of thing. There's only two states where there's like- Massachusetts is the other one, right? Or Delaware- I think or it's New Mass- Hampshire. It's one of those the, one of those ones. I but think it's Massachusetts or it might be New Hampshire. It's one of those, one of those they little never shoot porn. <laughs> right. It's really bizarre, but it's like one small state. And that was definitely like used sometimes as an argument for mm-hmm. for Prop 60, which is the campaign that we all worked on, um, right. but was my life uh, during the 2016 election. Uh, they wanted to ma- mandate it to make mm-hmm. Uh, you know, condoms not only required on every film set, which is you know great, have have the, have the option for people, um, but visible, and then mm-hmm. include punitive damages. So if you or I are watching 
an adult film and we don't see a condom, we can report it and file a lawsuit and uh, get the names and addresses of the people who shot that dirty content without a por- without a condom. It was just a bananas, a bananas law. But the proponents would often say, well, they have to follow it because California is one of the only places they can even legally shoot this kind of stuff. Right. And that's not really true. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, the First Amendment works everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um at least for now. Yeah. And uh, But there is – California has this historic uh, Supreme Court case um, mm-hmm. involving Freeman. And that really is kind of the uh, the basin of the birth, the, the fertile crescent of uh, the adult film like rights movement. That's right. how we got uh, the Free Speech Coalition started to be founded. It was uh, originally called – oh, I, need, I should have brushed up on my porn history. Um, but it was a legal fund. Mm-hmm. It was the adult entertainment video or something legal fund. Right. Um, and that's how the, the groundwork – began to be laid. Unfortunately, one thing that kind of came out of that decision was that the porn industry felt this very, had to legally have this very intense schism between adult film and other types of sex work. Mm -hmm. And that resulted in a pretty like gnarly stigma that is Mm -hmm. still sometimes with us today. Like, I'm this type of sex worker, you're that type. Yeah. And that doesn't help. There's a lot of girls who get real uppity about other girls who they think like hook on the side. And they're just like, well, I don't want to, you know, and they'll even say stuff like, I don't want to work with this girl because I know that she's, you know, doing prostitution work on the side. And here's the thing about that. Like, I personally believe that prostitution should be legal. Um, I've always felt that way. I don't think the government should be able to tell you what you can do with your body. But the problem is, is that because it's illegal, because it's underground, there's no real regulation. And I think the great fear is, is that women will go have unprotected sex with people outside the industry for money, um, get some kind of disease, and then bring it back into the industry. Now, what was interesting is I had Mercedes Carrera on, who used to escort, and she's very open about it. And we brought that up, and she actually said, to be honest, the guys that I would normally, my clients, Mm -hmm. generally were cleaner because, first of all, most of them are married. They're in like committed relationships, (laughs) and they, of all people, are so terrified of bringing something home to their wives because then they're going to obviously get busted. So she said, if anything, they were more strict about adhering to condoms, and they generally tended to be more disease-free. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was her experience, she said. Well, I think also our testing system really, uh, you know, we use these incredibly uh, effective, uh, mm-hmm. especially HIV tests that, mm-hmm. um, you know, have a window that's so that's so short. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we test every two weeks for seven different STIs. And so, yeah, sometimes people come into the industry, they test before they go uh, to shoot, and they don't pass, you know. Yeah. That's why it's the pass system. And we don't know, and, you know, the way the pass system is set up is to protect people's identity so it's not suddenly like the whole world knows that you got chlamydia before yeah. you shot your first big porn scene. Yeah. It's okay. It's it's private. And, like, you can get treated for that. It's okay. But our testing system is built in to avoid that risk. Right. And But it's, I really think that idea really shows how intense the stigma is, right? Because right. it's like, I know that girls who do this type of sex work are dirtier than me, and if I'm in touch with them, it, I could get dirty too. Like, okay, we all have bareback sex for a living, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You're talking about people who use condoms and, like, are mostly monogamous. Yeah. You know, and but the science and the system does, you know – circumvent the stigma, luckily. Right. Right? So for our listeners, I'd like to just explain to them a little bit more mm-hmm. what the PASS system is, how it works, because yes. a lot of people, sometimes I find that we get in here and we get an Inside industry baseball. talk <laughs> and we don't like realize, we don't think about all the people who listen who aren't in the porn industry right. and they're like, what the fuck are they talking about? Totally. So could you clarify a little bit of that more? Absolutely. So... You know, when I worked on the Prop 60 campaign, I remember we did this big event at the Democratic Executive Board meeting. So all the Democrats from California like convened in Long Beach, and we hosted this little like meet and greet. We mm-hmm. had cheese and crackers and all this stuff. And folks came in, and we got to have conversations with voters. And I sat down with this one man, and I was like, sir, like I would love to talk to you about Prop 60. Like, are you voting no? He's like, no, I'm probably going to vote yes. I'm like, okay, that's... It's not great. Um, let's sit down and um, can I ask you why? And he's like, rah, 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 I don't remember. But I said, can you, like, how often do you think people in the adult film industry get STI tests? Do you know? And he was like, I would imagine never. 
And I'm like, okay, so I'm just going to sit down and we are going to talk this out (laughs) because that's not the case, right? In the mainstream, as we call it, adult film industry, we use something called the Performer Availability Screening Service. And so that is an online system that is secure and HIPAA compliant. uh, And the testing facilities that we use report to that online system. And that online system can then be checked by producers, by other performers, and you get either a green check, which says, yes, you're clear to work, or a red X. Now, right now, I probably have a red X because I haven't tested in like a month because I haven't shot a scene in a month. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't mean that you necessarily have an STI. Mm -hmm. Um, It just means that you don't have a current two-week test. Mm -hmm. And so we test for seven different STIs. I call them the seven dwarves because I always like forget one, but gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, trichomoniasis, hep B and C, and then HIV. Did I get, is that six or seven? That's Six, trichomoniasis. What's the other one? C, always. <laughs> Aren't there three versions of hepatitis? There are, and we test for all. Oh, the, we don't test for need... A. We don't oh, test okay. for A. Um, because B and C are the ones that are like super sexually transmitted. A sometimes co- it comes through food. Yeah, okay. uh, You can get hepatitis A from you know a fish place. Okay. Um, okay. It's more about food handling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although get tested for hep A if you eat a lot of ass. That's real life. <laughs> Just saying, just saying. But, um, you know, it's – and whereas the average voter, the average Californian, the average person gets one HIV test once in their life. Yeah, I, I won't <laughs> lie. I got tested like right when I met my boyfriend yeah. who I've been with for almost two and a half years and I haven't been tested since. Yep. Because we're know. both in a monogamous relationship and – yeah, and unfortunately, you know, depending on your relationship dynamic, you know, don't ask, don't tell, and cheating are also forms of non-monogamy, guys. Mm-hmm. So, like, just because I'm not implying that about your relationship, of course, but, yeah. you know, especially these, like, married clients that we're talking about, like, mm-hmm. you know. So we test at a level, I used to often say along the Prop 60 trail, imagine, because, like, our demographic of workers, right, like, 18 to, like, 40-year-olds, we're fairly young, we're having a larger amount of sex with a larger amount of partners, regardless of if we're in the adult film industry or not. Right. Can you imagine if like college students tested the way we tested? Yeah. Like we wouldn't have STIs anymore, guys. Right. It would just be over. Yeah. So that's the the piece of education that is often missing, I mm-hmm. think. You know, we don't have comprehensive sex education and STI uh, transmission information in our schools, in our lives, right. like anywhere yeah. really. Um, and even still in the adult film industry where it is our business to be informed about this stuff, there's still a lot of stigma in, mm-hmm. you know, informing where real facts should be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and you see the way the mainstream media really latches on mm. to HIV outbreaks, you know, oh, there's an HIV outbreak and there's a moratorium. And it's like, yes, it's scary. And yes, it's it's really awful when someone contracts that. Yeah. but. To be truth be told, that is actually the testing system working. It is. We found one person who had who tested positive for HIV. We halted Before production. They got to set. Yeah. <laughs> we halted production. If they worked with anybody else in the industry, we tested all those people. We tested second generation and we wait until everybody's tests either come back clear or all the testing yeah. um, you know, rigors have been gone through and then we start again. And a lot of times the uh, not the last one actually i'm not sure what happened with the last one because we try not to release these people's personal information exactly. because it's really it's important a very to speculate. private thing yeah. but i believe that there has been a couple of situations where it's somebody who wanted to work an adult mm-hmm. right never had before yes. they come in they get tested because you have to before you work an adult they didn't know they had something they find out they had something so they yeah. never even worked in the industry but exactly. we still call a moratorium because we're just so super super like overly cautious because you have to be you're dealing with people's lives yeah you're dealing with and and we don't think about it you know again the hierarchy as i mm. call it like adult film is is at the top there's more respect whatever that fucking means mm. um but at the end of the day like how many sex workers are having bareback sex for a living as like their main source of income yeah. not a lot if you ask people who like even girls on the street mm-hmm. would be like ooh. Oh, you're doing it raw every time? Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. It's it's a risky activity, and yeah. that's why we test the way we test. That's why we do what we do. That's why we have communication and checks, checklists and all those things. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, we are, and, and I work for one of the biggest uh, corporations in the adult industry, mm-hmm. MindGeek, and they have a very strict rule because I check everybody and pass before yeah. we get to set to make sure all the performance are clean. But they have to have a green check, yep. which means a clean test, not the day 
the day before the shoot. So like, say if I'm mm-hmm. shooting on a Wednesday, I check it on a Monday. If they aren't clear on that Monday, if they're like, oh, I'm going to test Monday uh, or I'm going to test Tuesday morning and my test will come in Wednesday when we're on set, that's not okay. Because I've had that happen where someone's had a dirty test and then I'm on set already, they're in makeup and I have to kick them off. Yeah. And actually the last time that happened, the um, it was a false positive. The girl yeah. actually didn't actually have anything because she said, she's like, I know I don't have anything. Totally. I haven't it worked. Happens. And I was like, it doesn't matter like I, I I believe you, but yeah. I can't. That's it's so irresponsible for me to have you work. No, um, so we had to send her home. Yeah. So they have to actually be cleared two days before the shoot date. And I think that like people in in like mainstream mainstream uh, film, it's like the level of care and the level of um, foresight that mm-hmm. we have to put into. Uh, what we make yeah. in this industry because of the stigma and mm-hmm. because of the you know um, magnifying glass that's mm-hmm. often placed on uh, legal forms of sex work, which is why we you know we really want to work towards decriminalizing uh, yes. all forms of sex work, and then right. and then we can build from there, right? If when we see like in Nevada, like where you start with legalization, a lot of brothel owners were involved in making those laws, and so they don't always. Um, you know, serve the workers to the to the best of their ability. But if right. you if you stop treating people like criminals and treat them like workers and small business owners, which is what we are, right? Um, but I I do want to point out, like I, I said, I do a lot of mainstream mainstream media, and like those are the sets that I don't get asked before I get touched on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like when they're just okay, we're gonna lav you up. It's like okay, your hand is literally under my blouse now, mm-hmm. so maybe, and because there's not a culture. Of caring, you know, the, right. the the performer is everything in this industry, and right. like, if you don't have them on set, you we cancel the shoot or we or we scramble to get somebody else. Right, it right, right. really puts a kink in the day that I think most line producers on mainstream sets would be like, wait, what? You have to do what? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, bro, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that leads me to my next question. Um, you are the secretary at APAC, which is the Adult Performer Advocacy Committee. Yes. So um, tell us a little bit about what that involves, what that organization is about, what you do there. So um, I love being with APAC. Um, it's a volunteer board position that is made up all of adult film performers who are active or retired in the industry. And we do uh, advocacy, you know, at the state, local, and, you know, industry level, you know. Um, it's the only thing of its kind, really. It's, it it um, started, we're in our fifth year now, I believe, instrumental during Prop 60. I was working for the Free Speech Coalition, which mm-hmm. is the trade association of the adult film industry, um, when I first started working with APAC. So I collaborated with them and I got to see from an outside, like, what the board does, um, what they do for the community and, like... You know, it's a lot to to navigate the stigma alone, mm-hmm. and no one should have to do it. And especially, I think adult film performers and like as a woman, like oftentimes, unless you're on a set with a female director or female crew, you're often the only girl yeah. on set, or maybe the makeup artist, right? Yeah. And so, getting who doesn't always stay? Who doesn't always stay? And like often will not have been a worker before, right? You know, a, a muggle, as I right. say, <laughs> a muggle, a muggle. I love like that. <laughs> Or more like a squib, really. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like they got the magical power. Yeah. They can go in and out. Um, but yeah, so get the power of getting sex workers together mm-hmm. and building community, whether it's, you know, hearing some, some guy come by and advise us on how we should do our taxes, which we do every April mm-hmm. uh, to help give people a leg up on that. Or it's just a potluck. Or we did a self-care summit, like right around the time SESTA-FOSTA was happening. And mm-hmm. it just it all felt so crazy. We're like, yeah. okay, let's do a yoga class. Let's do a clothing swap and have a massage person around Mm -hmm. and like bring a dish to share. Mm -hmm. There's so much power in that. And then when you build your community like that, when you go and talk to policymakers, when we go and talk to Cal OSHA, which is the um, health and safety board that Mm -hmm. governs work here in uh, California, when we go and uh, protest in the streets like we did with Prop 60 or we did on June 2nd with the Let Us Survive March and International Whores Day, you feel that power. So it's mm-hmm. like we, we like stoke the fires together. We have monthly meetings at different locations all in Los Angeles. Really would love to get some chapters going in Florida and in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. But as of right now, we're still building our numbers here in Los Angeles. And then we, you know, uh, we also do stuff online. We did a big um, anti-cyber bullying, bullying initiative with mm-hmm. Lauren Phillips. We did a party called Spread the Love and then started releasing infographs around strategies for coping with Making online content as a marginalized worker, it's 
re- I know you know it's yeah. really intense. People are horrible on the internet to yeah. sex workers. It's pretty awful. I mean, yeah. I I personally <laughs> don't get a ton of um like negative comments, but I'm not putting myself out there the way that yeah. sex workers are, you know. And 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 it's funny actually on YouTube is where I see the most amount of abusive comments, and mm-hmm. I have to go through there and try to delete them just so the yeah. girls won't read it. And people just say the meanest things. I think that, you know, I don't know if they think the girls don't read it or they don't, I think don't, they don't see them as people. Yes. That's it. And I think that's the reason that happens is, is many, right? Right. Um, and if I can pivot and talk a little bit about SESTA-FOSTA. I was um, going to ask you two anyways. Yeah. Um, nice segue. Segue. <laughs> um, but these policies, right, mm-hmm. that treat us in practice and in the legal landscape as not full citizens, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so SESTA-FOSTA was a law that got passed in April of this year. Um, SESTA it stands for Stop Enabling Sex Trafficking Act. And FOSTA was the House bill, which is the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. Uh, they became one uh, mm-hmm. when you know both houses of Congress moved it forward. Um, so it sounds great, right? Sex trafficking. Who likes that? Nobody, right. especially in this industry, right. wants to see forced labor, especially no. forced sexual labor. Oh my no. God. Yikes. Yeah. Terrible. Unfortunately, the way that sex trafficking gets addressed at the policy level is usually by um, what's sort of viewed as an end-demand perspective. So Mm -hmm. if we shut down the entire industry, all of it, all sex forever, if we just kill that, then we'll, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater and there won't be any any commerce at all, which is entirely false. Like, we know what happens when you push an industry underground. Underground, becomes less safe. Yep. Um, I heard someone say once, and I've adopted this, and I forget who said it now. I've completely appropriated it. But um, when you criminalize an industry, it attracts criminals. Yeah. Just simply. Yeah. You know, there's there's just a certain uh, demographic of people, like kind of myself included, that is afraid of jail. Yeah. And I'm not trying to go there. And yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I try to avoid activities that are going to put that, you know, my life and liberty at risk. Right. Right. But um, a lot of folks are already deep in and don't care. And, you know, um, it just pushes it to the fringe fringes, making everything less safe. So what SESTA-FOSTA has done in practice, the way they've decided to fight sex trafficking, as opposed to like ways you can fight sex trafficking are expedited expungement mm-hmm. for um, victims, you know, okay, you have a prostitution conviction on your record. That's not going to help you not be sex trafficked in the future. That's right. going to give a pimp the opportunity to say, well, what are you going to do? What else can you do with your right, life? Right. Better stay with me. Right. <laughs> so expedited expungement is great. More funding for actual like services like uh, Swap Sacramento is the sex worker outreach project in our state's capital. And they often get cases referred to them from huge national anti-sex trafficking organizations like the Polaris Project will be like, oh, do you have a bed? Do you have a hot meal for this person? We don't. It's like, where is all that money going then? Yeah. <laughs> so instead of doing these services, passing a bill that would you know, actively fight sex trafficking, what they've done is made changes to the Communication Decency Act. So former, uh, the former world, before we had SESTA-FOSTA, uh, online platforms such as YouTube, Patreon, Facebook, Twitter, Pornhub, <laughs> lots of anything that includes user uploaded content. The Communication Decency Act made it so those platforms weren't liable for any of the content. So somebody uploads something that is illegal, like obviously they're the person who's responsible, not the platform to which they uploaded it. Right. SESTA has changed that. Mm-hmm. So now every piece of user uploaded content, the platform that it's on is now liable for it. And what that's resulted in is a real, uh, what they call a freezing, a chilling of speech. Mm-hmm. So it's not that the government is coming down and, and shutting uh, everyone's profiles and making it harder for folks like you and me to exist on mainstream platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Patreon. Um, those those platforms are making the choice to limit their liability mm-hmm. and push sex workers and sexual content out and just, you know, end the demand for it. Okay, we just yeah. don't do any of that. And yeah. what that's resulted in is, um, you know, things like Backpage and online platforms that workers who were on the margins could utilize to put space, time, and scrutiny between them and a potential predator. Right. 
they've all disappeared and people are working yeah. on the streets. People are so with like, pimps now. Like places like the Erotic Review, right? Exactly. Where girls could go and they could share information about certain guys and say mm-hmm. this one's dangerous, this yep. one's not. And then they could, it was an open communication. Yes. Yes. And that's all gone. That's all gone. And, you know, that has only further enabled sex traffickers. That's the thing that is, is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Like, it not only makes our lives harder, it makes people who are most vulnerable to the thing that they're trying to stop Yeah, in a more precarious situation. Yeah. Um, I wrote about SESTA-FOSTA uh, for Rolling Stone recently, uh, right before the, the vote and then right after. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you guys follow me on the things. <laughs> you can find them, but I, I also do a Patreon. But yeah, it's really terrifying. I talked to a lot of sex trafficking survivors um, in my second piece for Rolling Stone who, and also uh, people who work in the realm of anti-sex trafficking. And they're like, you just took away all of our evidence. Like, right. Interesting. You know, you post yeah. an online ad and we recognize that girl from another state. We can dispatch police to where it says, to the district she's advertising in. We can link these things together and mm. put together a case. It's so hard to actually even convict a sex trafficker, like mm. a real bad guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's impossible. And so this just made it that much harder. Right. Because now you don't have the evidence. Right. You don't have the paper trail. Right, right. And like pimps don't care if they put pe- their workers in more dangerous situations. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you're already a predator, do you care if, if they're in a hotel or on the street? Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Like, I mean, the great thing about the internet is that it was giving sex workers more independence and the mm-hmm. ability to manage their own careers better and to monetize their own content and find yeah. other ways of, of making money so that they weren't reliant upon a third party. Exactly. And that seems to definitely have changed it. One girl I spoke to said that in the hours that, um, or in the days that Backpage went down and SESTA-FOSTA became law, she got hit up by like, five different pimps in just a couple hours that were like, hey, having trouble finding clients, feeling unsafe because you can't screen them? I've got some solutions. Why don't you come on back? Yeah. That's real life now. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the the silver lining or like the next step <laughs> um, to because I don't want people to like lose hope here. Um, but I do want people to understand that this is not just a sex work issue, mm-hmm. right? Changing the Communication Decency Act, changing the way the internet works, concerns all of us, mm-hmm. right? Um, very scary times. But I think that for, for sex work anyway, the the next step forward is we have to push for decriminalization. Because yes. that will make all of us small business owners and workers, not right. criminals. Right, right, you right, know, right From right. the bottom to the top. Yeah. Um, and also... SESTA-FOSTA, you know, there is a provision in there. It's like, okay, if the state says, you know, like when we think about Nevada, they, they also did, right? So, okay, if, there, if there's a legal model or a decriminalized model state to state, SESTA-FOSTA will, I don't want to say be irrelevant, mm-hmm. but th- that is the workaround as far as I see. There are legal challenges. Um, Electronic Frontier Foundation, Woodhull Freedom Foundation have, you know, gone to the courts with SESTA-FOSTA because it is very dubiously constitutional, yeah. for real. But they're not making a lot of headway right now. Do you, so you don't see it being thrown out anytime soon? I don't. Really, I would love that. I would love <laughs> it. I mean, if we visualize and hope. Um, Manifest. But, you know, the way things are right now, um, yeah. I think that we do have to focus at the local level yeah. and, um, you know, work towards criminal justice reform, work towards police accountability. They're all part of this issue, right? It's such an uphill battle, you know, doing politics and for sex workers and the adult industry in general because the stigma is real. (laughs) And, you know, even if politicians might agree with you, they don't, like, that's the thing. They're never going to stand up for the porn industry. Totally. And so you have to kind of remind people that it is a First Amendment issue. Mm -hmm. Because people don't want to be seen, even though everybody wants to watch porn, people don't want to actually, right, you know what I mean? People don't want to actually like stand up for it and um, be seen as somebody who supports the porn industry because it's still considered like so dirty. Especially when it's generally framed as a like, you're either, you know, against sex trafficking Mm -hmm. or you're for the adult industry. Like, you, it's like, what? You No, you can definitely should. Most people are both. People yeah. are against sex. But everyone yeah. in the adult film industry, everyone in the entire adult industry that I know is vehemently against sex trafficking. Like, of course. Those are the same issue. Right. And that's what I think people... 
there's a misunderstanding. Right. That that they're somehow on opposite sides and we're totally not. Yeah. Um, I mean, there. I mean, I think also too the general public's idea <laughs> is that like. I think there's still this idea that women couldn't possibly make this choice of their mm. own accord. You know what I mean? Right. They couldn't actually possibly have gotten into the industry because they wanted to or they saw it as a viable career or they were true exhibitionists right. or something they actually liked doing. You know, somebody must have convinced them to do it. They must have come from some dire circumstances. They had no other option. You know, yeah. there's still such a huge victim right. um, association with being in the adult industry. But really, for women, only yes you know you never see people like petitioning for like get men out of porn these poor men are being victimized by these succubus women it's always the opposite because we always the male talent yeah right (laughs) because we always see women as victims inherently um people always see women as um just being the weaker sex yeah and not you know and also we literally make life with our vaginas right that's where it comes from that's god the end yeah. <laughs> like, it's what? It's crazy. It's amazing. And that's why I think it's so great to have someone like you and why I really try to have a lot of women on here to talk yeah. about the choices that they um, made, you know, on their own, totally. of their own accord. Yeah. And that they're like, no, I want to be here. I want to do this. I swear to God, no one's making me. Um, because people still just, they still so easily see that. And that way. In my experience, and I feel like you probably have something similar, like nine times out of ten, the women you meet in the adult industry are here because they do not like to be told what to do. Yes. Like, no, I'm here because, like, try me. Yeah. Try. Like, I tried other jobs and I couldn't stand men telling me what to do. Right. So I became a hooker. <laughs> like, I mean, there's definitely, like, a sense of freedom yeah. in, in this industry. I oh, mean, especially yeah. now, again, with the advent of the internet, because, you know, I've been around for a long time. And mm. even though I've been in the industry for 20 years and I started at the beginning of the internet, I've been around it because of my parents yes. for so long. So, you know, my mom, um, you know, worked in the industry way before the internet came along. And the way that I've seen, you know, female performers be able to take control of their career and really like, you know, forge their own path has yeah. been amazing. It is. It's really, I mean, I can't tell you how much it's changed. It's crazy. It's, it's a different world now. It's very Marxist, guys. Like, uh, <laughs> Marx would be super proud of the adult industry right now. Like, we own the means of production and it's over. Yeah. It's over for these hoes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it is a new, and I'm so excited. I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg, too. Yeah. You know, um, it's great to see people. I do another podcast called Ill Repute mm-hmm. uh, with Sovereign Sire. And, you know, I remember when we both started in the industry about like seven years ago, Mm -hmm. um, she was really critical of a lot of like mainstream, um, you know, the the methods, right? The Mm -hmm. the way the structure worked. You kind of wait for the phone to ring and like Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of control over the final product. And and, and now we have we have OnlyFans, we have Patreon, we have Model Centro, like you you can be in complete control. We look at these uh, up and coming cam girls who have never shot for a mainstream studio ever and have no plans or interest to. Yeah. You know, they they own everything. Everything. Yep. And man, Karl Marx, so proud. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I've definitely contacted some uh, cam girls and I'm like, oh, you're so hot. Like, would you like to shoot for a Playboy? Would you like to shoot for a penthouse? Thinking, like, oh yeah. my God, they're going to be you're so excited. This is, yeah, and they're like, no, I'm good. <laughs> That's amazing. They're like, I'm fine. I'm just, you know, I'd prefer to work out of my own bedroom. I'm making my own money. I don't really want. I don't really want that much exposure. Totally. Um, I just want to do my thing, and I just want to stay in my little bubble. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. That's really incredible. Um, the the ability that cam sites often offer mm. to uh, geoblock. So like, mm-hmm. no one in your home state could ever even access. Yeah. You know your cam room, and right. you can do the kind of the same thing with um, some Instagram and social media. So if mm-hmm. you're promoting, you can have a private account. You can mm-hmm. block a whole bunch of people, you know, yeah. and that's yeah. that's incredible. And that kind of privacy has never, you know, of course it's not fail safe. Anybody can take a screenshot and forward it to anyone. Of course. You know, I always tell people who are trying to get into the industry, it's like, should I just start maybe webcamming first? And like, if you're on the internet, you have to be ready to be a whore forever or like, don't, yeah. don't talk to me. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, once it's up there, it's, it's, it's up there forever. You can strip for a summer. Go strip for a summer. See how yeah. you like it. You know, like yeah, if, that's you want, true. if you're not sure. Yeah, it's just like putting anything on the internet. It has to go with everything. 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 It's just, you just better be prepared for that to be up there for the rest of your life. Totally. So just. I used to say, like, man, uh, you know, when I started doing adult film stuff and putting Mm -hmm. my naked, sexy body on the internet, Uh I was like, um, well, I guess I'll never do politics. (laughs) 
Isn't that funny? <laughs> if only she knew. If only she knew. It's like, but it is super weird going into political spaces mm-hmm. as a sex worker. Yeah. I'm open. You know, and I've, I've struggled with, I'm like, should, be, should I be using my legal name? I totally had to use my legal name at one of the first Made, like real deal political things that I did right. for Prop 60, um, which was the Republican convention, the California oh, Republican boy. convention. And it was such a mind trip to be around all of these, like what I saw, like clienty types. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. With my legal name emblazoned on my chest on yeah. a lanyard. I was like, I'm not okay. Yeah. <laughs> go to the bar. <laughs> you know, it was, but it is, it, it's weird to navigate that identity and people, um, it's not that they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I think if any I think people on the mainstream sometimes understand that it's a free speech warrior issue. If I'm here and I'm right. a sex worker and I'm at a polit- I'm at Politicon or the Democratic Executive Board meeting, like yeah. I'm I'm not playing. Right. You know. Um So tell us about your book. Oh, which yeah. has been sitting here on full display for those of you watching Ta-da. on video. Um so my book is called Truth, Justice and the American Whore. Um, it was released. You like that word, don't you? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I I like to, you know, I, I love the reclaiming of, of words that have been scary. Mm. You know, um, I, I'm a queer person mm-hmm. and um, I think I had like a queer mentor of mine tell me once, you know, lesbians have sex with women and dykes do whatever the fuck they want. Mm. Um, and so I've always identified as that because like uh, I'll out myself. My my real name is Dakota and mm-hmm. people called me in a loving way, but I grew up being called Dakota. And so <laughs> I'm fine with that now. And right. same with whore, you know, yeah. that's like the lowest thing you can call a woman. Right. But like, why? Right. It's also the industry that like, you know, where women make the most money, where women actually make more money than men. Yeah. That's why I chose it. Yeah. You know? Um, So this is actually a compilation of short essays that I've written and have been published um, in different places. I wrote a column in the San Francisco Weekly for many years called The Whore Next Door. Mm. Um, That was about sex work and queer identities and politics and culture and San Francisco. Um, I loved living in San Francisco during sort of what kind of felt like the last like death rattles of Mm -hmm. counterculture there before Mm -hmm. it became full Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, this was written during the time when I was like, working out of like a massage parlor that was literally across the street from Twitter, like interacting with that duality of of sex work and counterculture and rising Silicon Valley, you know, second wave or whatever. Right. Um, So yeah, it's got some great stuff in there. I'm really proud of it. Um, I talk about coming out as a sex worker Mm -hmm. um, in like the first chapter. It's, uh, when my mom got really sick, mm-hmm. and um, it was also when the Giants won the World Series for the first time in 2012. Not the first time, the first time in 50 years uh-huh. in 2012. Um, so it's it's a really wholesome book. You know, it, it looks like this because the, this is not a bait and switch. Yeah. You know, I um, I come from a family of like you know odd patriotism. You know, patriotism for labor rights. Um, the union. I grew up you know in a union household. My first job in the adult industry was a union job at the Lusty Lady Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was really involved in Native activism and um, indigenous people's rights. Um, my, like, so gra- this is like in your, <laughs> it's literally in, in your blood, yeah. Yeah, my uh, grandparents are, you know, military. Uh, my grandpa was a rear admiral in the Navy. And so, like, the patriotism is real, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and as a sex worker, I love this country so much, and I just really hope that someday it'll love me back. Yeah. You know? And yeah. that's that's what my whole mission is about. One of the saddest things <laughs> I've heard anybody say on this podcast. Oh, my God. It's true, though. It's like we, you know, I am grateful for, like, the things that, you know, <laughs> the conservatives say I should be grateful for. Like, fuck, yes, I'm grateful for my right to freedom of speech. Have you see? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm really super grateful. Like, this, yeah. this would not be a book I could release in China. Right. You know? Right, 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 um, right. Oh, I did. I did sign it. Yes. Oh yeah. You put a lipstick mark <laughs> I did, on it. I did. Oh my goodness. Lipstick marks everywhere. It's like a way of life. <laughs> I, when that's I ha- where we know. That's how we know you've been here. Yes, I mark my territory <laughs> as I go. Um, so yeah, I'm, the book will be an audio book very soon. That is okay. like a goal before the end of the year. Um, obviously, I love to talk on the mic and um, these stories. You're very good at it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so are you. Uh, I don't know about that. Sometimes I'm. Uh, it depends on my guests. It's interesting how I really feed off my guests. I've yeah. listened to some episodes where I'm having a hard time pulling conversation out yeah. of my guest, and I'm just like, uh, uh there's. It's just. Yeah. Ugh. 
it's very difficult for me. But if I have somebody who's really engaged and talks really well, like you, and takes and and helps me lead the conversation, um, then I can just sit back and listen and learn. Honestly, like I mean, I've learned a lot from you today, and mm-hmm. I hope the the audience has as well. Me too. Yeah, I, I, I that's why I started my podcast as well. I was mm-hmm. like, the, when I entered the industry, and I realized that everything pretty much that I had been told about it was a big fat lie yeah. and that like we're not second class citizens we're actually some of the best and brightest minds and hearts in America mm-hmm. it's like okay we got to sit down and talk to these people <laughs> cuz yeah. like you learn so much and there's so there's such a wealth of information in our industry and thank you for right. being part of that you're such an inspiration to me personally and yes. to all of us thank in this industry you. it's true thank you national treasure <laughs> no one's ever called me that before. Oh, God, you should be. <laughs> yes, 100. I'm going to tweet Yay, that one. I, Holly you. Randall is a national treasure. Yay, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that so much. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Susie. Thank it was you. awesome to have you. My absolute pleasure. Can you please tell everybody where they can find you online, and can you remind them of the name of your podcast as well? Yes, absolutely. So I have two podcasts. Uh, the main one is The Whorecast. You can always find it at thewhorecast.com. Follow me um, on Twitter, at Whorecast. Instagram. I'm Susie Q Media, uh, but thewhorecast.com is the best place. And I also have a new podcast called Ill Repute. So check that out on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else you get podcasts. And make sure that you pick up her book, Truth, Justice, and the American Whore. Yes. I'm assuming that's probably available on Amazon. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much again for coming in, Susie. You were awesome. Anytime. Thank you, Holly. And you guys can find me um, at Holly Randall on Twitter and on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week. I just want to thank you guys for listening. Um, You being here means everything. But what would mean even more to me is if you would go on iTunes, rate and review this podcast, and share it with a friend. If you know somebody that's fascinated by the adult industry but doesn't know anything about it or is really into a certain performer or guest that I have on the show, tell them about it because you know podcasts really grow by word of mouth, and your recommendation means a lot to me. What also means a lot to me is your money because this does cost me money to produce. So if you can support me by going to my Patreon and joining, I give away really cool prizes, gifts. You get access to the live streams. There's just so much cool stuff that you get in exchange for your support. So go to patreon.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered. Next week on the show, I have girl, girl only performer, Georgia Jones. She has been requested by so many fans ever since I started this podcast. She's been in the industry for 12 years and I've known her for a long time. I did some of her first shoots. So I'm excited to have her back here to talk, to laugh, to chat, and to dispel all those porno myths that you guys cling so heavily to. So make sure that you come back next week for Georgia Jones on Holly Randall Unfiltered.